0: Welcome back, everybody, to Edge of the Rabbit Hole. I'm author and ghost historian Mike Ricksecker. With me, as always, is my co-hostess, Victoria Monday. And down in the chat room, Quarantine Ghosts, haunting the chat. We have a really special episode up tonight. We have a fantastic guest, Mark Fiorentino. He's a self-taught metaphysician who worked as an accomplished troubleshooter for technology companies like IBM and Harris Government Systems. Uh, Mark retired early in 2016 so that he can compile all of his notes concerning the study of the history of physics, focusing on Einstein and his research. So we're gonna be talking about Einstein's unified field theory this evening, Mark's book, Master of Reality, Super Relativity, and how electromagnetism, gravity, and more affect the world around us. So Mark, fantastic to have you on the show. We were having a very interesting discussion uh, before we went live, and I'm really looking forward to this. Welcome to the show.
1: Uh, Thank you.
0: Yeah, so give us a little background uh, about uh, you know who you are, how you got into this research, how Einstein really piqued your interest. I'd in, like to talk here, but down.
1: I've got a feedback mechanism going on. I don't know if you guys are hearing it, but I'm hearing your voice in a delayed fashion.
0: Oh, um, no, I'm not hearing any feedback. Um, you don't have us. You don't you're not actually watching the show on your system, are you?
1: No, just on the the uh, system right here. Let. Well, maybe it is. Hold on. Yeah, if you are, just. Okay, I just cut the whole. Uh, okay. Um, there, it's gone now. Good, I good. Was, so that was it. <laughs> apparently, it started in one of my windows on my browser. Not a problem when it happens. Is that
2: sometimes. like a, a time travel paradox going on right there? <laughs> there you go.
1: <laughs> well, it's really hard to focus on what you're saying when there's two of you talking at the same time in two different time frames. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, we were talking a little bit of uh, time travel, Bush. Before the show, we will get into that a little bit, but um, just to give the viewers a little bit of idea of who you are, and how you got into this research, um, can you give us a little bit of your your background, just for starters, and how you got into this? It's an absolutely fascinating research.
1: Yeah, it, it, there's two things, basically. As a child, I had um, come upon I, Albert Einstein because um, my when I was in church and I was going to catechism, the nuns wanted me to and everybody in the class to find a saint born on your birthday. So, uh there was no internet in this time, so all I could do was ask my parents and then I I went I remember looking on the calendar in in the kitchen and there on March 14th they had Albert Einstein. So, I said, "Oh, huh? Albert Einstein's born on my birthday. Let me look him up. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> so I went to the Encyclopedia Britannica. And then again, I have a clear memory of sitting down and reading about Albert Einstein. I says, wow, he's a pretty amazing guy. And and then I got into uh, a, a branch of what was being said there it was called the Unified Field Theory. And I read that at, I guess I was around 10 and it just made so much sense to me i said this is really important and uh, i'm very interested in this and so i continued to uh, carry on throughout the years uh, and learning more about albert einstein and unified field theory because there, it just like resonated you know i don't know how else to describe it is that? It's like I was remembering something really important and I wanted to continue and find out. I was very curious about how it, that worked. And, and then there was other things that came later on, basically, events that helped me to get to the point where I, I took myself seriously in that, hey, you could solve this problem because you just solved this guy's problem as a person at where I worked. I was a mathematician he was studying a master's thesis and he had this problem he brought it in one day and he was looking at it and he was trying to solve this problem in finite mathematics and uh, he had this model he made which is a good way to analyze a problem he was trying to figure out how this model worked and he had these equations and he explained the mathematics to me not really big guy on mathematics, but I listened and I understood Boolean logic, which is a kind of math used for computers. And he had the first three dimensions solved uh, and they were modulo two, it's binary uh, stuff. So there's logic gates involved, and gates, or gates, nor gates. Mm-hmm. And, and he had this and he had it solve, but he says this thing should work for any dimensions. So that means that there's a new formula for each dimension. And uh, he couldn't get over the fourth. And I looked at the equations. I understood what he was saying. And I first time I used my theory to solve something, I says, there's patterns in everything. There's a pattern in this equation. I looked at it and I saw it immediately. I said, and I says, look, I think I can solve this. I'll get this back to you tomorrow. You give me the stuff, I'll put it into the computer. So I wrote a computer program that night to analyze my uh, theory and I saw that the equation, the equation itself was forming a geometry. Oh, wow. (laughs) And all that had to be done, as you go up each uh, um, dimension, it gets much harder to solve because you got to plug in all the permutations of what you know variations you can have for that formula, so it gets to be 64 solutions, then 128, then 256, then you know pretty right. soon you're in the hundreds of thousands and the millions. So it would be hard for any dimension after a while. You know you could run a computer program that would take days and weeks to solve it. So I had I recognized the geometric pattern. So I went home and he's been working on this for months. I solved the 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th and 8th dimensions in about 2 hours. Oh wow. This so is and I had my computer program that I could plug them in and it it gave me that string of numbers he was looking for. No no circular parts in it. Mm-hmm. It had to go through the complete string and what was in a random order and get every possibility in each dimension going and assembling the equation that he had And expanding it geometrically uh, I I said Well I solved it for all these dimensions I did it in a couple hours And they had been working on it for months Him and his professor And he took it and I gave it to him And he he smiled I said I knew you could do it And uh, he took it to his professor And His professor said Your friend has found new mathematics This is in no book Oh wow. (laughs) I couldn't sleep that night. That's impressive.
0: That's impressive.
1: I I couldn't sleep because I know only the masters create new math. Mm -hmm. Newton, I'm thinking Newton, Einstein. I I created math (laughs) in an hour or two at night on my own, not knowing much about math really. But uh, so that event, it was in 93 and I says, hey, maybe you could solve the problem of the unified field theory. So it always ran in my back of the mind, and I was always watching TV shows and reading books. Does this have anything to do with it? Looking for patterns, and I found them, and the book is loaded with them, and I described them. So those are the two basic things, other than the spiritual component, which is something that happened when I was 20, and a medium uh, said that, predicted that I would be in this position someday but it was in a very vague way. And it was kind of a little bit tricky, but she didn't tell me everything. She told my friend who came in after me. And when I, we were riding in the car, she says, he said to me, that's something about you. And I says, what are you talking about? Uh, I had a very normal reading. She told me and everything she said turned out to be true. I did get married, I have two children. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did get into electronics. Everything she predicted came true. And then there was this one prediction near the end of my life I would um, become famous for and I couldn't remember what he said over the years. And so uh, it was something to do with discovery or invention. So I spent a lot of years trying to invent something, but that's not exactly the invention thing that was to happen. It was this thing, I'm sure now. So that's how I got into it.
0: Oh, that, that's fascinating. So your your book is Master of Reality. And from what we were discussing earlier, it seems to uh, tackle a lot of different topics, but primarily um, unified field theory. Um, but also the, uh, the, the subtitle was super relativity. So can you give us a kind of a synopsis of, of the book? And I did put the link down in the description for, for everybody that's watching right now.
1: Yes, uh, and that's a good question because I put, I provide a synopsis on the website that they can download so that they can get a good idea of what the whole book is about and what the theory is about. So basically, the book goes through a um, many discussions that establish... Uh, the unified field theory and uh, i also talk about things that come about as a result of the unified field theory so so what is the unified field theory i mean that's the main thing we got right talk about here and basically i'm using the one that einstein developed which is Electromagnetism and gravity emerge as aspects of a single fundamental field. So what is a fundamental field? What, what, what am I talking about? What was he talking about? Well, it turns out that's a very simple thing. It's the ether. Mm-hmm. And the ether is a substance, a real thing. Not, you know, so space is not an empty void as it's now thought of by many physicists today. So I I, there are chapters I build on the ether. I prove it. I pound the way at it. Chapter after chapter to establish that there is an ether because it was abandoned mistakenly in 1905. And so there's many events that led to that. And some of them were by Einstein and some were was, of course, from the Michelson Morley experiment. So I talk about that. I correct that error because that's when The main errors started in physics and they went, which goes along with your name, they all followed Niels Bohr and Heisenberg down the rabbit hole. (laughs) I I use that often. It's not just for your show. Right, right. (laughs) I use that term often because that's exactly what's happened to mainstream physics. And it's one of the reasons why they weren't able to solve this problem because they're trying to prove a model that's incorrect, only they don't know it. So that was a question that came in my mind. Why haven't all these brilliant people for the past hundred years been able to solve this? Because they were trying to solve a problem using a model that was incorrect and they could never get out of that rabbit hole to, (laughs) to, to use the right procedure, which was comes from Einstein. So, I mean, the the book is about all that. There's other things going on. There's uh, as you saw on the cover of the book, those dangling things. Yeah. Those things have meaning. That's actually the signature of God. And I broke it into separate pieces so you could see it easier on this diagram or on this picture here the the triangle stands for the three dimensions of space the trefoil knot is what the quarks inside of the neutron and proton that's the their pattern of motion and when that and that's moving at the speed of light so then from the quarks moving in that rate of speed they form that physical object and it's precessing and spinning rapidly because it's going at 99 percent the speed of light, the end result is the sphere you see at the top, which is rotating, and from that rotation comes gravity. So that's uh, what the master is teaching the student right there is the signature God, which is which I discovered from an NDE, and that's a whole other couple of chapters in the book that I talk about the search for the signature of God. So there's a lot of things going on in, in the book.
2: Is the signature of God the same thing as the God particle? No. Or is that something different?
1: No, that the God particle is the Higgs boson, and- um, The Big Bang? The, it's it's part of the, one of the tunnels they found in the rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> it's There's a <laughs> yeah. It's a dead end. Uh, physics has become obsessed with finding particles, because the standard model is all about particle to particle interaction, mm-hmm. and um, ultimately solving the unified field theory is not about a particle particle interaction. It's a particle to space interaction, and so while they continue to try and make it a particle particle thing, like the Higgs is supposed to help out in generating mass and gravity. They have six, at least six different explanations for mass and gravity. And all of them, when you question them on it, it becomes very vague. And, you know, like the Higgs, well, the particles go through the Higgs field and it gloms on to them and (laughs) kind of slows them down. And, you know, you get into explanations that make no sense. And, you know, I I feel bad that I have to say they have these things wrong because I love physics. I love Mm -hmm. physicists and I don't want to give them a hard time and I don't want to disagree with them. But it has to be done because it's wrong and they're wasting our most valuable resource, which is them. Right. And a pursuit of something that's not real. Mm -hmm. And uh, we can't afford to do that so the higgs particle is i i feel is irrelevant
2: it's old news it
1: it it just doesn't doesn't relate to anything in the real world it's 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 they didn't even actually see it did you know that
2: no (laughs) no i remember a book i used to work in a bookstore a million billion years ago and the god particle was one of the big books that we were always selling
1: yeah i read that book
2: yeah i love
1: that book yeah i I love the name god particle it's great (laughs) Uh, It is. It is. But um, they never actually, the thing didn't live long enough to get to the detector. So that Mm -hmm. means it didn't even live long enough to be uh, like a trillionth of a second. I mean, there should be some qualifier. I mean, you should have to live some amount of time before (laughs) you, you claim that you exist. And uh, what they did is they said, well, if the God particle does exist, since we can't really see it, maybe it's splitting into something else, and we'll look for that. And they found the <laughs> splitting of something else, and then it was inferred that it exists because, well, look, look at those things that are showing up there. That can only be if the God particle is falling apart, which mm-hmm. we didn't see. So, <laughs> right.
2: so well, has it.
0: <laughs> so, Mark, do you think um, you know that – a lot of these different sciences because we've had you know other other fields on the show like archaeologists and what have you and it seems like those that are um you know employed within these sciences uh, seem to get a little they get stuck in the box um but you're more of a you know outside researcher it, it seems so do you think it's going to take people like you and, and others to kind of shed a light on um you know th- thinking outside the box and taking things from a different angle to uh, enlighten uh, these signs is, hey, there's actually something else going on over here.
1: Yeah, well, that's exactly what my mission is. And that's why I'm going on these shows, because I'm trying to alert scientists. What I need is what Einstein had done. Uh, if you're familiar with this history, there is one person that made Einstein what he discovered, Einstein, Max Planck. I'm looking for Max Planck in my time. <laughs> So I'm hoping that physicists uh, in the mainstream, some of them who are open-minded, will look at the theory. Because my theory is basically a philosophy. It's metaphysical. So that used to be what physics was all about. What is metaphysical? That means I studied the nature of things. I went down to the core, the foundation, and tried to explain things in in a mechanical way as they used to do like James Clerk Maxwell and Michael Faraday and Lorenz, and then eventually Einstein. Uh, theirs was a classical sensible field theory approach. So whoever physicists wise are going to have to allow for the idea that the quantum mechanics was wrong and they're rumblings going on that there are a lot of them are starting to say, this might not be right, the, the, the quantum theory, not the mathematics, the quantum mechanics, but the theory, is if it's wrong, we've wasted all our time. So they're gonna have to think out of the box, like you're saying, and allow for the possibility, you know, put their presumptions behind there and, and, and say, this makes sense. When you get the theory, you you say, this is really sensible. How can it not be this? How could they have not figured this out by now? Right. And, and it does. My theory, it never goes, there's never the word magic going to be used. It's not, you know, counterintuitive. It's sensible all the way down the line. I, I throw nothing but fastballs every pitch and they're right over the plate. And when you get them and you piece the patterns, the subtle patterns in nature and the clues left behind uh, from other guys, it's basically, this is what I have done. I've assembled all the clues left behind by the masters and I understood their meaning and I assembled all of that into a sensible metaphysical theory.
2: So it's basically Occam's razor?
1: Yeah, it's yeah. definitely yeah. you know Occam's razor is is right. Yeah. It's the simplest solution. It's not you know I used to think well oh, this is the world's hardest problem, but once you've got yeah. it, it's well it's really not that hard. The reason they didn't solve it and it's hard is well they're trying to prove something that's not true. So they've tried to to quantize gravity twenty eight times using <laughs> a particle theory and they have failed every time but they won't stop they keep trying again and again and you know like richard Fenneman said well what happens if we're wrong then if we shouldn't quantize gravity if if we realize that when then we'll have known that we have wasted all our lives trying to do him and all his buddies and friends uh, and, and sadly that's what's happened, but they won't come to the realization that there's a possibility that that theory is wrong.
2: Didn't I read, um, something about you saying that there's like a new evolution of man, um, like yes. evolving as part of it, like, Hey, this is all wrong, dude, let's back up and we can go. This to the is road. what
1: my book's about. I am trying to help mankind evolve. I, I think I actually say that somewhere in the book, uh, to get Wait. this realization right uh, will help us evolve because we will develop once i figured out how gravity works which all that is basically in a simple layman term is a gravity is a contraction of space it's a type of bending of a real physical object which is a quasi-elastic solid mm-hmm. and what is quasi-elastic mean? quasi means when you bend it and you with a force and you remove the force it snaps back into place and becomes a euclidean flat geometry but gravity is one of the three different ways you can bend the space and that's a contraction of space so i thought if space can be contracted well it can expand and if it can expand well there's your anti-gravity so then i worked on the problem of how do i get space to expand and that's in de- detailed in my book very thoroughly it's relatively simple so let me say that this is time for the announcement <laughs> it really announcement yes we have an announcement one. yeah so mankind to in order to evolve must gener- discover this technology which is anti-gravity and anti-gravity is done with high magnetics magnetism is a rotation of space That's another one of the types of bending of space, the ether, you can do. It's another one of the aspects of the single fundamental field. So if you make a strong magnetic field, you stretch space apart. Just like if you got a piece of silly putty and you slapped it down on a picture and you look up, you lift it up, you look at it, and then you twist it. Look at what happens to the picture when you twist it. It stretches, and Silly putty is a kind of a quasi-elastic solid. It's not yeah. as good as the one I'm describing. It's more of a, just like a <laughs> liquid solid. But it, But you can see what happens to space when you twist it. And that's the third primary field, which is electrostatic field, and that's the twist. So in order for mankind to evolve, we must develop anti-gravity so that we can travel to other star systems. We must do this so that we can colonize another planet if this one something goes wrong. And we must have this technology in order that we could build drones that can repel incoming asteroids if there's a threat there. And as long as we don't have that, we're just as vulnerable as the dinosaurs. One day, Mm -hmm. and you know, every day the odds increase. Every 67 or so million years, We get hit with a big one, and some people think maybe it's Nemesis coming through. There's different reasons why uh, there's this timing with these asteroids coming in. And uh, we have to have a defense system, and anti-gravity drones and supercars and the things that come from this will protect us, will will evolve, will be able to go to other planets, other stars, meet extraterrestrials, they can teach us stuff, religion will change, it will become more universal because we'll understand what the bigger picture is. We're not the center of the universe, right. mankind. And, and eventually right.
0: we have to leave the planet. We were talking a little bit about it before yeah. the show, but eventually we have to leave the planet because this planet is not always going to be here. And I think we kind of take that for granted.
1: The clock is ticking and time is running out. And scientists there's another conspiracy here. You're you're absolutely right. Uh, And there's an experiment that they've been doing for years, which is basically measuring the speed of light. And uh, my theory says that if the universe is expanding, speed of light will speed up as time goes by. If the universe is collapsing, it will slow down. And that's a known fact. If you shoot a light beam through a gravitational field, it slows down. I'm not telling you anything strange or unusual or controversial here. That's a known fact because space is a medium like water and like air. If you go shoot a light beam through air, it slows down. It refracts. It bends a little and slows down. You shoot it through water, it bends down even more because it's denser. You Mm -hmm. shoot it through glass, it bends and slows down even more. So gravitational field is an increase in the density of space, it slows down. So I went looking for whether the speed of light is speeding up, slowing down. And sure enough, there's a scientist, uh, his name is uh, Barry Setterfield. And he determined by looking at the stats over the last 200 years, every time they measured the speed of light, it was slowing down. Uh Interesting.
2: Hmm.
1: And this was very annoying to the physicists. And uh, the guy in charge of the constants back in the 1940, I think Burge was his name, he got fed up with having to change the number all the time. Every couple of years after they measured it, it was a little slower. And uh, he, they were, everybody was getting ticked off because Einstein said it was constant speed. And this is contrary to our scientific belief. So we got to do something about it, and instead of, you know, making the uh, continuing the measure and and making the uh, determination finally, since it was never <laughs> steady constant over time, they declared, uh, look, uh, I think it was around 1980 or something. This is the number. This is the number we choose. This is what it's going to be. From now on, we're not going to use this, this measure, this meter, this special pl- platinum or meter uh, that we got in France or whatever, the golden meter, to measure the speed of light. What we're going to do is we're going to start with that distance. And if it doesn't match the number, you're going to set the machine to that number. Hmm. And from now on, we're always going to get the speed of because that's it, because that's what we want. You know, it's not in the spirit of good science to have this controversy. This shouldn't be happening because if this constant's changing, all the others are changing. And now we're really going to get messed up. So we're going to make it constant. And from then on in around the 70s, 80s time frame, all of a sudden the speed of light is constant. And they haven't had any problems anymore because what do they do? They tweak the machine so that it gets that number and then they start (laughs) measuring from there.
2: Okay, now I have two questions. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> Go ahead.
2: Okay, sorry. Um, from what I was reading earlier, because I was cramming, because I wanted to do good, I wanted to do well. Um,
0: <laughs> it's not a test.
2: <laughs> yes, it is. It's. <laughs> 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 um, when you're closer to a center of gravity, the time is more syncopated and it's more regular. As you get away from the denser gravity field or gravitational field, time fluctuates. Is that true?
1: Okay, let's, let's go over that. And, uh, we'll
2: That's are. number one. And number well, two. Uh-oh, two-part <laughs> um, question. Two
1: part.
2: True or false? No. Um, they were also building a superconductor not too far from here, but they shut that down in 1993 because people were freaking out and because they ran out of money. Do you think that was a government uh, conspiracy or not?
1: Super collider. yeah. Yeah. Um, no, <laughs> it was, uh, I don't know if it was politically Crushed, but uh, there was a lot of money. I don't, I, mm-hmm. I remember reading about it, but I don't remember the reason why it lost out to uh, where they built it in Geneva, I think, in Switzerland or somewhere. Oh, like there that
2: there was one in Waxahachie, which is like two hours from here.
1: Um, yeah, and um, but they're everyone, building a new one up in right. Europe, uh, even bigger one, which I think oh. is going to be a colossal waste of money.
2: Oh no, but wouldn't that be the magnetic centrifuge that could allow for time travel?
1: Um. Okay, and I'm done, so. <laughs> no, uh, well, let's go back to the first question. Okay. What happens with time in a gravitational field? Mm-hmm. The stronger the gravitational field, slower time.
2: It's not more rhythm, more in, in sync?
1: There's, there's no, no, no because w- unless there's an oscillation, no. uh what what happens is you you get and they've done experiments and this is a proven solid fact and it's predicted by general relativity um the the closer you get to the stronger gravitational field slower time goes and i get into the book and really i'm going to kind of argue with with it a little it's true what happens is it's not really time that slows down. It's the clocks that measure time. Okay. They yeah. slow down. And that's an important distinction. Mm-hmm. Because really what I'm I've found is time is kind of absolute, like Newton used to think of it. Why physicists, if they're hearing this now, they're like pulling their hair out. They don't want to hear this. But <laughs> but I can I can redo Einstein's twin paradox experiment and prove Time doesn't slow down when you reach the speed of light, which is another way to slow down time. Okay. The person who's accelerating and going faster, that guy's clock is going to stop okay, okay? Mm-hmm. when he reaches the speed of light and um, that and and if he turns around and comes instantly back at the speed of light for another hour, let's say he goes out an hour and comes back, that 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 clock will be, Two hours behind the clock here on earth okay. but when he arrives he arrives in the same exact time as present time so he's not really in the past he never that spaceship that was traveling at the speed of light never fell into the past it's clocks mm-hmm. stopped moving so it's measurement of time appears that time stopped but time didn't stop okay just does the clocks
2: a, does that have an effect on their bodies
1: Yeah, because why the time is slowing down and why the clocks are slowing down is all the molecules, all the atoms in the direction of motion, they're being contracted. Okay. And uh, so when they try to go forward, they can't because you can't exceed the speed of light unless you're inside of the slip wave, which is my invention. And that goes into a whole nother thing we can get into. I will skip that for right now. I'm talking about (laughs) conventional acceleration using rockets or something. Uh, So you've got the the particles that are, you know, moving around or helping the clock Mm -hmm. move start to do this and they can't move in that direction forward. So everything starts to freeze and the oscillations of all those particles slows down and then it stops. And so what you have is like a flat, surface Mm -hmm. a two-dimensional spaceship with a clock that's not moving believe me you're not going to survive that and now the physicists are yelling again that doesn't happen that way yeah it does (laughs) and and that's why you got all these problems these are all the lorenz transformations i'm talking about so that kind of addresses your first question now what was the second part again um
2: super collider would that if it's like a centrifuge for Mm -hmm. magnetic energy? Yeah, just kind of go around.
1: Magnetic energy drives the particles around, so they slam into each other.
2: Would it either Uh, create a black hole or would that be like a Stargate where you could possibly do time travel?
1: People thought it might, and we're afraid that, you know, you keep cranking the energy up. I mean, they're going 99% the speed of light and smashing into each other, Mm -hmm. but it, it takes a certain amount of matter mass to create a black hole or a neutron star, and it's just one little speck. So, and it didn't happen. There's no black hole formed, in anything. No, you know, it's not the end of the world. <laughs> That's um, good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but it it's it's not gonna find, uh, you know, a time thing problem there. What what you're going to what you could discover, if we ever got into more time, we had time to talk about the Michelson Morley experiment and finding the ether wind, which would have proven that the ether existed, but they didn't mm-hmm. find it because the design of the experiment was wrong. But using that device spinning around like that, you could detect an ether wind because the particles being used are have mass. And that's what you need in order to discover the ether wind. So that would be a device that we could do that experiment with. And I would guarantee you at the times of, January, December and January, they're going to have problems with the uh, timing of the particle beam in the east and west tunnels. I'll bet you anything. If we could dig through it, if there's a, a physicist listening and you work on the maintenance of <laughs> that thing, if you're having problems in December and January, it's because That's where why. the Earth is in the orbit. <laughs> it's closest to the sun. It's moving the fastest. That's when it th- it's going to throw off the timing of those beams. Just a little side note there, but um, no, you, you, it's not. You don't really. You can't use that to um, to mess with time. The okay. Stargate invention that I have in the book uh, is the way to go in order to do that. And so, I'm looking forward to the book too. Yeah, absolutely,
0: absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Since since we're talking about time, it's it's been my um, perspective for a while now that this thing that we call time is just a Human construction to describe the, our reality and you know what we're experiencing right in this moment, and we were talking a little bit before the show about time. That you know, I, I personally believe that time is concurrent; that you know, past, present, future is all playing out at the same time. So, how does this relate to the theories that you have in your book?
1: Yeah, and and I agree with your statement wholeheartedly and i've found that um from i've studied many ndes and they discuss time here and on the other side on the other side they're outside of time so they can go into any time they want it's it's all happening at the same moment here in the physical plane uh, i believe time happens because there's a real physical space distance equals rate times time. So if distance doesn't exist, like many scientists think that the space is a void. It would take no time to travel across any distance. Why? Because it's not there. How long does it take to travel from points A and B if there's nothing in between points <laughs> A and B? Zero time. Mm-hmm. But we find that doesn't happen. Uh, it takes time for a particle beam or wall or a light beam or whatever to go to a and b in outer space right so you have a set rate maximum rate which is the speed of light you have a real distance you have the experience of time time intervals just emerge from this setup So that's why we have time here. And we're born into time segments is what I've come to believe and understand. So you live in, or we live in our own, this segment right now that we call now, all the other segments, they're all going on at the same time. So if you wanna travel back and forth between two times, you have to open a portal, a gateway between this time and some other time. So you would have to have a piece of hardware that can tune to other uh, time segments, other dimensions, and other physical areas. And how this would be done? We're gonna have, a, have, have to have a lot of good physicists mm-hmm. who know the math to do that. And it, and you tune space. Uh, uh, you know, it's uh, to the point where was, I'm gonna have to start getting into the portal construction, the technology that's used which is fractal lenses. What are fractal lenses? They're made of metamaterials. What are metamaterials? These are materials that can affect the permittivity and permeability of space. Why does that matter? Speed of light is equal to one over the square root of permeability times permeativity. Those two things, permeability and permittivity of space are properties of a real physical space more evidence that space exists. If space didn't exist and was made of nothing, it would have no permittivity property and would have no permeability property because nothingness can have anything that have a value. They would be zero, but that's not what we measure. So there's another proof that space is a something. You have to mess with those two properties in order to go faster than the speed of light. That's the trick to breaking the light speed barrier. And there are people today, physicists, uh, people in, uh, what do they call it, material science, Mm -hmm. that know how to build this type of material that messes with permittivity and permeability. And so with inside of those materials, light goes, as they're claiming, not me, uh, you know, I'm just telling you. You can go to ResearchGate <laughs> and other places and read about metamaterials, also called left-handed materials, and they are claiming light inside of those materials goes infinitely fast.
0: So, so let, let me ask you something, um, Mark, because you've you've mentioned indies, um near-death experiences in your book. You do um, you touch on reincarnation, so you, you're talking about you know those are some you know, very uh, spiritual topics you're also talking about a lot of science and these are you know kind of the two pillars that always seem to be at odds with each other but it seems like you're actually bringing them together and i'm curious as to how you do that
1: thank you for bringing that up and that's a very astute observation that's exactly what i'm doing <laughs> fantastic <laughs> uh, that's my full and complete intention for anybody listening out there in the world of physics What is really, really wrong, I think, is that we've taken God out of the equation. When you take the creator of the thing that you're studying out of the equation, you're going to wind up with explanations that make no sense, and you're going to go down the wrong path. You have to study the creator, and in order to do that, you have to believe and know the creator exists. After studying many NDEs and talking to spiritual mediums and my own personal experiences, I I know for sure there's an afterlife, there's a God, there's a Jesus, there's spirit beings, there's my parents who have passed on. They exist. They didn't die. And everybody there, and I, I got... on my website I have multiple people, NDEs who come back and said science the constants, everything in physics, the universe and all other universes and dimensions have been created by God the one they call him so why would we want to leave out and not question and study the creator himself so really science is at the There's the pyramid of knowledge. At the pinnacle is religion. Science is with it right at the top. Mm -hmm. And God, he has created the laws of physics. He maintains them. This whole system, us, everything. As Einstein said in his last day of his life to the nurse who wheeled them up to the uh, window so he could look out over the garden, she asked him, Dr. Einstein, uh, did God make the garden? And he said God created the garden And the gardener And she looked at him and said Oh, I never thought of it that way So what he was saying is in he, What he believed is God created the whole universe mm-hmm. And all the physical laws And up to his time Most scientists believed that And now we have many atheists And agnostics and stuff and uh, they kind of believe in nothingness that's one of their main theories which is you know things just emerge from nothing if you turn away and not observe them they don't exist this is all the the false doctrines of quantum mechanics and that's why they can't solve the problem Uh, it the, the theory the theory part of quantum mechanics is wrong the math is great for predicting how to find new particles Smacking them together and say, if I do this and this, I'll get that. All right, that that works. It's great, but that's not going to be helpful for solving the theory of everything. Fantastic.
0: Um, We do have a lot of questions that have come in from the chat. I've been holding on to them um, because this has been an absolutely fascinating discussion, but I do want to include our uh, viewers' questions uh, with this. So, uh, Rick Gabbert asks, What are your thoughts on string theory?
1: Uh, One of the greatest tragedies of physics. Um, It's the stepchild of quantum mechanics. It's quantum mechanics on steroids. It's a highly abstract mathematical formulism that our greatest, our best physicists have dedicated lifetimes. And it's not a provable system. It's not a testable system. So what's happened is, is they've fallen into an area of Mathematics and science, where they don't really have to develop a theory that's verifiable. They just play with formulas. You know, um, being a little unkind here, they <laughs> they they work with formulas, and they can dedicate their lives. and It's very complicated, very intense mathematics that only the best and brightest can do. But will this ever lead to a theory of everything? No, because the whole basis of it doesn't really make sense when you get into the interpretations of how it works, like vibrating strings. Really? Uh, vibrating strings that, that happen to live in a dimension, multiple dimensions that we can never detect or see, never do an experiment on, never determine if they're real or not. And why are they vibrating? How, why, Why are they vibrating? What's making them vibrate? And isn't this just another ether theory because now you're saying space is filled with vibrating strings. So I think it's a tragedy and and we need these minds working on things like superconducting room temperature, superconducting wire and things of that nature, power source so that we can build technologies that would actually be useful for the advancement of mankind. So string theory, I'm going to give a thumbs down. On thumbs that down to string theory. Yeah.
0: All right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Mr. CO2 asked, do we live in a simulation?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. That's a metaphysical question and, yeah. and a spiritual question. I, and, um, I think that from, again, a lot of this comes from reading about NDEs and what other people have said is that we're, a part of god and this creation this physical creation may be something that it's we're all a part of god all the physical stuff is so that we may be like in the mind of god and us individuals are single thoughts of god and when we return from this world to that world we return with the gift which is our life and our experiences so that god can experience everything from everyone not just on this planet but from every other planet and we share that together in a kind of a universal consciousness so you could say it's a simulation that's kind of a technical way to look at it but it's some sort of a master plan uh, that we all live in this shared experience in just one of the many infinite number of dimensions of physical reality
0: Yeah, let me ask you this real quick, just kind of piggybacking off of that. because, you know, our science fiction has thrown out there the idea of living as a simulation. The you know, biggest example would be the Matrix movies. And, um, and I've heard some different people talk about that possibility, but it seems like they always come at it from a very technological, computer-oriented type of idea. And I've always thought that if we are living in a type of sim- simulation, that, it would, that it's something more biological and organic, not necessarily computer-driven. What do you
1: think? Um... Well, you have, it's. I have a, a theistic approach. God just didn't make the universe and then step away. That's kind of what Einstein was thinking. Okay. I also, I am absolutely 100% sure that God co-creates after the universe is created. In other words, he's involved with everybody personally. That means you, uh, uh, Victoria. Everybody listening, the whole world, aliens on other planets, all the animals, all the plants, even the grains of sand, each and every one on every planet in this universe, God is a part of and fully aware of. So and then we have our free will, which we do some creation on our own afterwards. That's part of this plan, this system that's been put in place. And, and so it's not like a computer simulation where there's a program running things, a blind per program that has some sort of programming. God is actually involved on many levels with spirit guides, with manipulation. And there's a lot of talk about the genetic code. It's so complex and so perfect. it it screens intelligent design because Any small deviation in the life form that has that uh, uh, problem will die out. So how do you get all these perfect programming sequences in there without somebody messing with it to make sure that the life forms evolve? So evolution is perfectly valid. I don't want to yell at people or say, no, it's not that way. You know, the earth was created in seven days. No, God, is superseding all of that so he's involved in the evolution so that's the way i think it actually works and that's from what i get from nde people who who are outlining in detail they're saying this is the person that is responsible for everything the creation the continuing creation and that's what i think about that
0: (laughs) okay great Great, appreciate it. Um, from Judy Wilson, do you believe that we are living in multiple dimensions at the same time?
1: We're in our dimension, which I think has a certain set of physical properties. What's interesting is there's other dimensions in which life is possible, in which the the parameters or the settings of space could be different, less dense, more dense. Whatever And so life forms over there and the way stars work could be slightly different, but still work. Uh, we're in a specific, pretty dense uh, physical dimension. And with that kind of physical problems, you have a lot of limitations. And that's part of the experience, which we need. You know, we come into a body, the body and the mind and the spirit can't remember where it came from. You know, you're you're set. You're in a game now and you're dealt your set of cards, how you were born, your, your personality, your abilities. And you have to play that hand as best you can. That's how you maximize your life. That's how you win. You take your hand and you make your bets and you play your hand as best you can to win the whole ultimate life game. And that's a challenge. And is life difficult? Yes. It's supposed to be. Right. That's, the, <laughs> that's the That's the That's the point. situation. <laughs> yeah. And embrace it. Yeah. I win.
0: No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh we do have several more questions here from the viewers in the chat. I don't know if we're gonna get to all of them guys. you, you do have some great questions, but Victoria, mm-hmm. I did want to toss it your way again real quick because I know you had a list of questions. I don't know if you got to them all. Oh, yeah, uh, that
2: was pretty much it. There was, the other things I really wanted to talk about were um, like uh, lucid dreaming and dream walking, but I didn't wanna take away time. But yeah, because there's like, you know, Stargates. I really am interested in your, your ideas about Stargates. And Tesla, was he suppressed by the government? Is there a government conspiracy? Um,
1: Tesla is uh, a very, <laughs> you know, he's a great inventor. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he was, well, who who suppressed him was, um, well, it's that other inventor that he was arguing Edison? with in Edison, Edison in New Jersey. yeah. And then they JP Morgan
0: a, took away all of his financing. So, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, they had a tremendous feud, and that had a tremendous toll on uh, Tesla. One, uh, one of the greatest, perhaps the greatest inventor of all time, a true visionary. They don't come around like that very often. And he was a man of integrity as well. Um, but he, he just fell victim uh, to... Being such a good naive person that he he wanted to, you know the 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 generator, the Tesla the giant Tesla coil he wanted to make wanted to give the world free power through the atmosphere, which mm-hmm. is a novel idea, but not really that safe. And I don't think it would have worked very well. But it, it, in in theory, locally you could broadcast electrons through the air. He would ionize the atmosphere and it would have become very unstable during thunderstorms and it would have been a lot of lightning hitting the ground and it's it's <laughs> not practical but it was a noble thing but it ruined him and you know the power company didn't want to give away free no
2: well, right. <laughs> there,
0: there's no money in that right yeah <laughs> i live
2: in the yeah. state, so no.
1: <laughs> but his system was the system we use today for power distribution is yeah. was the way to go. Yeah, Where do you think
2: we're going to go from here? I mean, are we going to well, evolve?
1: <laughs> well, if I succeed and I have a I hard sell, I, I hope so because planet earth needs to have this happen. And if we weren't ready for this, I wouldn't be here doing this and talking about this. Correct. It's a unusual circumstance. I find myself in. I, I never saw this coming really i thought well i invent something i'll discover something because they said i'll be teaching spiritual things in the last days of my lives and i'll be doing humanitarian work well this kind of leads to that Um, Mm -hmm. i would like to help build the first starship commercially available i know the dangers and the pitfalls and traveling beyond the speed of light and it's an incredibly dangerous thing to do you can't have an engine failure Going (laughs) past the speed of light, it's it's instantaneous. A little problemsome, yeah. (laughs) So uh, I I want to see planet Earth involved. So I brought all this information in. Um, I um, I also you know I wanted to do the anti gravity thing. I want the world to have this. So I just, just told you how to build one and and do the experiment in the last part of the book. That proves. Anti-gravity theory, that's my theory. Just out there, you guys, you physicists, you, you uh, experimentalists, do that experiment with magnetism and detect it, it can be used to shield gravity. It, I also, also want to add that pulsing it or spinning it may also, the magnetic field may also enhance the effect. I don't have that in my book. I think I have a pulse version. Okay. But uh, moving the magnetic field may also enhance its anti-gravity effects. But please, guys, do the experiment. Uh, It's been done in the past and covered up by the government. So I've got two factions that want to block it. The government, because why? Because they want to keep the anti-gravity technology that they probably already have. It gives them a strategic That was one of our other
0: questions from Sharon Lane. She had that question, yeah. Well,
1: yeah, they have it. And I have talked to people recently, and I can't give you details mm-hmm. of the story, but I know for sure there's been witnesses that have confirmed that we have experimental uh, unidentif- uh, experimental UFOs that we have built. They've seen mm-hmm. them. And, and to protect those people's innocence, I say no more, because they okay. don't want to be involved. They don't want to be ridiculed, and, and they're afraid. So... But I know that they, and then the airplane pilots flying over area 51, there's a story of where they were flying over and they received a report. Please turn left now. You have to turn left now. So as Mm -hmm. they were turning, they knew where area 51 Mm -hmm. was. So they looked out the side window and they see coming down from outer space, 12 bright lights, zip, stop, go into and land. So... That they didn't want them to see that, but they saw it. And now, those credible airline pilots are telling the story. We have this technology and we don't want it to be talked about because we have a strategic military advantage. And if you look at how they can literally fly circles around our fastest jets. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's not a fair fight if we ever had to go in, in battle with the UFOs. Right? Did you know. we
2: get a, a big jump in anti-gravity theory, say, around, oh, I don't know, 1947? Yeah, that's when <laughs> it started. <laughs> hey, hey what you happened to 47? <laughs> if you I look, went around.
1: <laughs> uh, as I did, uh, over the years, you will see that the U.S. Air Force had interest in every high magnetics lab all over the United States, Mm -hmm. They were in major founders and and contributors to every high magnetics lab. And if anybody was looking for room temperature superconductor research, they were investing in that. And anybody uh, who was generating super efficient power systems, because you need a lot of power to drive Mm -hmm. a UFO. Uh, and, And so they were into all these things for the past 70, 80 years.
2: Do you really need a lot of power for a
1: UFO? (laughs) Oh, gosh, yes. You need in the many, many, many megawatts, uh, as much as a thunderbolt, continuous power. um, It can't be interrupted. Yeah, go ahead.
2: Um, Is anti gravity the same thing as no gravity or lack of gravity or reversed gravity? Anything
1: along this? I call it the. Uh, gravity is like a hyperbolic field. So, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of shape. Right. Like that. Uh-huh. Uh, anti-gravity makes a shape in space like this. Gotcha. The inverse hyperbolic field. So okay. space bulges out. And so there's a pressure difference between that area and the space around it. So it's pushed. So you start with a magnetic field that's really strong in the front of the ship. Then the next coil is stronger and the next coil behind it is stronger. And then the strongest magnetic field is here. So you have this bulge that comes out here and and it forms a pressure wave within this thing. And that's how particles move. And that I use that same design to build the starship. And so you need a, a, a gradient magnetic field from the front of the ship to the back, all of it really powerful. And uh, once you establish it, that that vessel can move beyond the speed of light. It will float in space if you oscillate it. You know, you can just do a DC oscillation. So that's why on Earth, a lot of people, when they're near UFOs, they hear this low hum. Mm -hmm. That's the coils, the magnetic coils. They're pulsing the power through it. So they don't need the full burst of magnetic energy. They just need this little, but it's, you know right faster than that and it maintains the position it's a great hovering mode where they they pulse and so if you get really close to a a hovering ufo you will find that it you you will hear this sound and in some cases if it lands like they have detected in the past that the soil or the grass underneath it is magnetized i remember reading that as a kid Mm -hmm. and the ufo uh, the uh, project blue book guys would take magnometers out to landing sites that Mm -hmm. tipped me off i says well magnetism has something to do with ufos (laughs) and anti-gravity and crop
2: circles yeah
1: (laughs) it took me many years to figure out how i'm giving you in this book the detail the foundational detail of why magnetism does it it's not just like an idea now it's here's the exact mechanical explanation of what's happening to space you're biasing the space a certain way to cancel the effects of gravity and reverse them
0: well mark we're pretty much at the end of the show you did uh mention before the show that you had one other announcement about the sun we'll get to that and then we'll uh we'll get everybody the link to your book so what was the announcement about the sun
1: Oh, thank you for... I thought I had said that, but that was before the show. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yes, uh, I'm announcing to everybody out there who can listen, especially you astrophysicists, the sun, according to my theory, has a solid neutronium core. Uh, So the the star theory formation is that stars are formed out in space, not because gas just sort of magically falls together, which isn't a ridiculous idea because the repulsive force of the protons is many orders of magnitude stronger than the gravitational field they project. So gas can't just come together. It had to have a gravitational force and that gravitational force are neutron spheres, stars. So every star has a solid neutronium core. And evidence of that is when they blow up supernovas, what's left? Either a neutron star or a black hole. And black holes are just simply super dense neutronium stars. So that's the announcement. I'm going to start doing your research at the sun. You'll determine that the core is solid. And there is already some research that strongly indicates that. And I have that in the book
0: all right fantastic and let me go ahead and put the uh
1: photo back up so where can everybody find the book well it's on my site www.super or dash relativity.com and there's a link pointing to amazon you can buy it on amazon um and those are the two places right now that you can get the book i can send you i have limited amount that i can send for signed copies Uh, on my website and most people or you could buy the ebook or the hardcover book at amazon.com
0: fantastic and we do have links to uh both the amazon link and the link to mark's website down in the description here on the youtube live stream uh quarantine ghost is putting those both those links in the chat as well. And then for the podcast version later, Mark just told you where to find that. So Mark, this has been absolutely fascinating. Uh, we're definitely going to have to have you back and talk some more because uh, this has been wonderful.
1: Yes, we will have more funders, more <laughs> exciting discoveries <laughs> to talk about. We can talk about the slip wave for one thing. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> so yeah, we'll definitely, we'll definitely have you back and uh, okay. really appreciate it. So Mark, you have a good evening and thank you once again. Thank, thank you. you. All right, Bye-bye. take care.